Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hey, Christ Church. Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. I know that there's common things that happen in each of our homes, and the more we're spending time with each other at home more than ever before, I realize there are two primary questions that take place in our home. I'm going to give them to you in order. The most common expression in our house, day in and day out, is, what do you want to eat? The second question is, what do you have today? This has been a statement that Heather and I have asked one another, a question we've asked one another for the 30-some years that we've been married. It might happen at night when we go to bed, or it might happen the first time we see each other in the kitchen in the morning on the way in and out. She'll ask me the question, what do you have today? It's interesting because we have a shared calendar and I can see mostly what she's doing and she can see mostly what I'm doing, but there's always those last moment things. It might be, hey, if you're going to the store, pick this up for me, or I'm going to go to Target. Do you need anything while I'm out? But those two questions, what do you want to eat today? Such an important question. But the most revealing question for me is the question, what do you have today? And so I want to rephrase that question to us as we think about it. What are you doing with today? Now, this is not a guilt-inspired message to make you feel bad. It's really to ask the same question when Heather asked me what I have today is, what do I have planned? Where am I going? What am I doing? And can she help me or can I help her while doing those things? But I want to ask you, what are you doing with today? When you get up in the morning and you face a day, what is your hope for that day? What difference will your life make On this particular day, based on the choices that we've been talking about that that Peter's letter called 1 Peter has given all of us. So I want to tell you, this is the, the dominant thought of what I've learned from this text. God purposefully created us to be purposeful. He did this. He purposefully created us to be purposeful, to do things that matter. Movement and activity do not equal purpose. For instance, I can explain it this way. Dead leaves in the yard move around more than anything else. They certainly move more than the cat. They move more than a dog. And they move more than our kids. They're constantly being moved by the wind here and there all over our yards. But at the end of the day, they don't accomplish anything of substance. It makes no difference where a leaf is moving. They're full of motion and empty of life. God created you and I on purpose to have purpose to have a focus for the gift of our days, aiming daily to do what you were created to do, to do something that matters. So I want you to think about it. We're not talking about being selfishly productive. We're not talking about doing things to do things. And we're not talking about denying ourselves so that we can do all these holy moment things, these sacramental moments. No, no, it's actually, God doesn't say, I want you to live a separate life of me. He says, I wanna be the reason you live the reason you move, the reason you celebrate. What we just sang together, the things we believe in, they matter. And they matter because they give us purpose, a purpose we lost, but now we have renewed. Think about the last 11 weeks during this period of sheltering at home and protecting our one another and our community. We talked about a series called The With God Life, living life with God, living with God for others, And then living with God in this thing called community. Then on Resurrection Sunday, we talked about the life of Joseph. And we asked ourselves the question, what is happening 
to understand that Joseph, in the midst of a life that he never would have chosen for himself, understood that God had worked his purposes even in the tragedies that Joseph had faced. Some God allowed and some God brought about, and in the midst of all of it, Joseph knew that what the world intended for evil, God intended for good, and he made it good. And then, as we just mentioned, we just completed a letter Peter wrote to a group of Christians who could have been discouraged, but he gave them a reason to live with hope. Today, I want to talk about unity, but I want to talk about unity in a unique way. I want to show you in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, how unity is actually lived out, not just discussed. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We'll pause there. Here's what I want to say to you that the author of this letter to the Jewish Christians wrote. He's telling us to embrace our hope, to embrace it, not, not to hold it off for another day. It's not an antidote to the poisons of the world. Our hope is our, it's what propels us into every day. It's what wakens us every day with answering the question, what do you have today? I have hope. I have purpose. I have value. And I can find all of that in others too. Verse 23 again. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. The very first step of living a life with purpose is to abandon your previous purpose and live for a new one. It's to give up the selfish life that we all chose for ourselves when we told God to leave us alone and found out that when God leaves us alone, we are empty, we are broken, we are devastated. And so we hold on to this. And the author says, hold on unswervingly. Don't let anything take it from you to change your focus, to change your hope. Trust in the work of the cross. Trust in the blood of Jesus. Understand that the life that Jesus lived here on earth and the life that he gave to die on the cross opened the curtain so we could enter into the presence of God in a way that we will never enter into without him. We never could and we still can't. But only through the blood of Jesus Christ can we. So the question I have to ask each and every one of us, it seems like an old tired question of the gospel, but it's a question full of hope. Have you been washed clean of your sins by the blood of Jesus? Because if you want to be, that's awesome. But have you been? Have you received the gift of salvation that the blood of Jesus Christ offers you in its atoning power to meet your need, to pay your price, to cover and remove your sins? It's such an assumption. Well, if I believe that Jesus could do that. No, no, we're not talking about believing what Jesus can do. Are we letting him do it for each of us? It's a core question to embracing your hope. I've been thinking all week about how to come up with the other side of this suggestion. Like pursuing the Lord without addressing your sin is like, well, if we had more time today, I would leave you about 10 or 15 minutes because I've been working on it all week. So to pursue the Lord without addressing your sin is the equivalent of doing what? And the only thing I could come up with is trying to enter heaven with a Cardinal's jersey on. And then I thought, nah, I can't. I'm right, but I can't. A friend of mine, Dan Mitchell, came up with something today that works. Pursuing the Lord without addressing your sin is like trying to overcome cancer by removing it yourself. You can't. It's impossible. 
to have cancer removed, you have to submit yourself to somebody else who can do to you what needs done to bring you from death to life. And pursuing God without dealing with your sin is a fool's mistake. You see, we have to surrender ourselves to who Jesus is. And not to receive a punishing blow, but actually to receive a graceful gift of hope that allows us every day to wake with a purpose. And that purpose is to share with others what's available to them in Jesus. What we have received, what we celebrate, what we enjoy, or rejoice in rather. If you look at the letter to the Hebrews beginning in chapter 10 through 13, I can just walk you through some of the promises that we hold our hope toward. These are things that God said he would do. In chapter 10, God has promised we will be forever perfected by a single sacrifice, verse 14. By the work of Jesus is what we need, all we need. In verse 16, that God has promised to write his law, his desires on our hearts. So we will know him by knowing his desires. Verse 17, God has promised to remember our sins no more. Chapter 12, verse 10, God has promised to bring good from all of our pain. Chapter 13, God has promised to work in you what is pleasing in his sight. In chapter 13, again, God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. The same promise Jesus made to us. So we hold on to our hope. We embrace it. Next time someone asks you, what do you have today? I have hope that what I'm about to do and what I can offer others is worth offering because I've received it myself. It's a part of who I am. I wanna say this not because I'm trying to indict anybody, but I wanna remind us, God did not give us hope so we could curl up in our beds all day, dreaming wistfully about what it'll be like one day. Our hope is a today hope. It is a right now hope. And look at the world we're living in. It is needed more than ever right now. A hope that has an answer to the world's hurts and anger and division. This is the hope we're to embrace because the world needs it and we have it. And we can offer it through the blood of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want us to see in our text today is we need to stir each other up to love and good deeds. You see, the clear focus for our life of unity is not just a unity in what we believe in, but a unity that propels us forward, a purpose that we all have in common, no matter how different we are, no matter what language we speak, no matter the color of our skin or our gender or the nation in which we were raised. All of this is unified around a purpose that all believers have. So how do you accentuate this new and living way open to us through Jesus? Believe it or not, the answer might surprise you. It's found in verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How through Jesus does the presence of God actually come into your life? How does it change your purpose? How does it help you become the person that God has with purpose called you to become? Not on your own power, but on the power of the spirit and through the work of Jesus Christ. Would you be surprised if I told you it came through life-giving community? It doesn't, it doesn't come in your private prayer closet. It doesn't come if you aspire to climb a mountain and sit up there for 30 days with God, waiting his word. It doesn't come in those moments. It actually, God created us for community all the way back to the Garden of Eden and its perfection. That one of the ways that we grow deepest in this new way open to us is in life-giving community. You see, it's easy to think that the church has a lot of purposes. And these are all true. Education, evangelism, public worship. But the purpose of all of those purposes is for what? To bless others with the hope that we have in Jesus. 
You see, if you just gather in public worship spaces and you're not into that kind of community, you're actually denying yourself one of the things that the Spirit does in all of us that draws us deeper. Notice carefully, it is not just consider how to love and to do good. That's an actionable step. There is one here. What we're told is consider how we may spur one another on to these things. I looked up several translations, spur, stir up, stimulate. The the word there simply means do what you can to encourage and coach and enforce and edify and lift up. Let's have a unified purpose that what I can do for you and you can do for others and you can do for me is part of God's perfect plan to grow us into completeness in Jesus. Focus on helping others become more loving, and to do things that really matter. Not like leaves blown around the yard, but actually movement with a purpose and a focus. Aim at stirring up good deeds. Encourage and celebrate those actions that bring life and hope. And speak soundly and lovingly against those actions that bring death and despair and disunity. We're also told to consider others. It's not just about me, it's about we, it's about us, it's about the journey, it's about a community traveling together. I can't think of many things in life that are better alone than they are with others, of like mind and like heart and like salvation. Back All the way back in Hebrews chapter 3, we're told to consider Jesus, because this is what this letter is all about. How Jesus is the perfection of everything we used to have in types and images and shadows and close enoughs. Now we have the perfect gift. So we're told to consider Jesus in all of this. And in the midst of that argument, the author of Hebrews says, not only consider Jesus, but now that you've considered Jesus and you know where your hope lies and you know that he's perfect, now we consider others. It goes all the way back to where we began a few weeks ago, months ago, actually, with God, with God, with others in community to be a blessing as God has blessed us. You see, the grammar in Hebrews 10.24 is the same as in Hebrews 3.1, except the focus is on one another. Consider one another. God has called us to care for one another, to love one another, to serve one another, to encourage one another, to rebuke and correct one another. And we're really a family that cares and doesn't just walk away, but we care and we love. And this is what we've been talking about all during this period of change in our culture. Let's care for one another. Let's look out for one another. Let's hold each other up and strengthen one another to the best of our God-given ability. Why? Not because we're strong, but because we have hope that our circumstances will change, but the love of God and the purpose of God never has. Simply put it this way, do you feel like you're living in the movie Groundhog's Day? I actually set my alarm to play I Got You, Babe by Sonny and Cher. When it goes off, I'm reminded of that movie where every day he awakened knowing it was going to be the same old thing, the same old routines. What did it matter what he did that day? And then throughout the movie, he began to understand that there was a purpose behind him living that day over and over to figure out who he would become. And so the challenge for all of us during this season is who are you becoming? And is your hope propelling you? Or are we just moving around Busy and wondering, what's the point? Why do my school work? Why go to work? Why do these things? Nothing seems the same. But I urge you to hear God's words in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. 
When you get up in the morning, understand that no matter how good or bad your day is, you have an opportunity based on your hope in who Jesus is to stimulate another person to love and good deed. And you'll find out when you do that, there is a blessing that will come called joy into your heart to know that your day today made a difference. It made an investment of the gospel. And you might just find that your completeness in Jesus comes when we consider others more than we consider ourselves. In verse 25, he says, how do we do this? Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10.25 is always in a preacher's back pocket. It's a perfect verse we can pull out at any time to beat people over the head and say, you ought to be in church. Hebrews 10.25. Well, I think that's kind of a, a almost reasonable application to the text. Let me explain. The word meeting is a Greek word where we get our word synagogue. So it is a gathering. A gathering united for purpose. I want you to hold on to that. But there's a difference between gathering and being a community. There's a word called aggregation. An aggregation is a collection of individuals or things, the aggregate. It tells us that there's a collection of certain things. But a congregation is different than an aggregation. A congregation is a community that is gathered for a reason and is gathered to be together, not just to to be in a crowd. I can be in the mall and be part of an aggregation. But when I gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ, we are a congregation. We have a higher calling and we have a higher purpose. It's for deep spiritual relationships. It's, it can happen and these encouragements that we're to do to spur one another on to love and good deeds, they can happen in our day and age through a text or through a phone call, through an email, through a visit, through gathering together and worshiping God. There's so many ways to perform this. We can eat together and pray together and learn together and cry together and mourn and grieve and celebrate together. We confess our sins one, one to another. We grow together in community. We congregate. And the author of Hebrews says, don't give up the chance to be with other believers. He says, don't neglect this opportunity. It's part of God's purpose for us. And second, do these things to encourage one another. But let me correct a misapplication of this text. Clearly, when we're being advised by the medical experts not to gather in large groups because of the risks, and we're learning how to to mediate those risks and protect one another and do the best we can under these circumstances. There are many that would suggest that because we're honoring the health codes, which have great wisdom to them, that we're actually not able to do what Hebrews 10 tells us to do. And I want to tell you, I suggest we're not in violation. In the context of this letter, this kind of coming together is evaluated on whether members are encouraging one another, not in what location, in what size their rights demand. We actually can live this out every day. This is not a Sunday verse. This is an everyday verse. So preacher, we're all supposed to gather at the church every day and you're sinning if you're not. No, no, once again, that's an extension and a misapplication. What I'm actually suggesting to you is that there shouldn't be a day that goes by in any of our lives that we don't connect with somebody of like faith and somebody who desires faith. This is our purpose. Whether it's a casual, informal conversation in a happenstance meeting at an intersection in life, or whether it's an intentional meeting where you reach out to someone you know is hurting and struggling or just needs to have hope in their life, and we reach out to them. The beautiful part of this verse is it transcends date and time and most certainly transcends location. 
I also like it to be honest because it, it throws away the very weak argument that I don't need to gather with other believers. I can go out in the woods by myself and worship God. Yes, you can, but you also would be in denial of how God has created you to be in community. Your walk of faith and my walk of faith is not individualized. It is in community. It is within the essence of the church gathering together to sing words like, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit and all that that means for all of us. You see, I want to encourage you rather than rebuke you. Understand that each and every day we gather together in like faith for great purposes. Because we know that you can gather in a space with others and aggregate and never actually connect or encourage or spur one another on to love and good deeds as you yourself are not being spurred on to love and good deeds. God is calling you and I to a greater engagement, a daily purposeful loving commitment to one another. Some cultures find this very natural to do. I've had the privilege of being able to go to Africa four times in my life. And on every occasion, when I gather with the believers in Africa on a Sunday morning, it's amazing how they will come find me in my chair, drag me out of my chair and make me dance with them throughout the church building. Oh, smirk if you want. It's pretty awesome. And I'm a fair dancer. Actually, I'm not. And it's really incredibly awkward, but they say no guest can join them in worship who will not dance in celebration like David did. I'll dance that day. You see, this gathering together is such an encouragement of cultures and ideas and differences that together we're unified around what? Our love for one another because of Jesus' love for us. I think you're a loving church. And I've seen love extended to people who are isolated and lonely. And I celebrate that. I thank you for living out your faith and hope. And I look forward to the day without any restriction, we can all gather together and worship Jesus fully the way we used to. But if we never should be able to do that again, sad as it makes me to say that, I want you to know that we can live out Hebrews chapter 10 in its fullness by caring for one another, serving one another, and finding ways to spur others on to love and good deeds. Jesus came to restore us by his blood. But I want you to understand, we live our lives not about our restoration, but about our reality. Our reality that because of Jesus, we are known by him and he died for us and we have a purpose. That he did that on purpose to call us together. He put those 12 disciples together and built relationships with them and called them to love and serve together in this thing that's become the church. And we are living stones being placed on the cornerstone and the firm foundation. When your relationships are not just about how you are, but how others are, then when we come together, everyone is encouraged. Everyone is lifted up. Everyone is loved. So how can I know this is true? And how can I know that this is what I'm created for? How how can I even know that I can do this? What I want you to do is I want you to consider the cross and Jesus' words on the cross. We've been told to consider Jesus and we're told to consider one another and their needs and their desires and where they are in their walk. But I also want you to consider the cross and what Jesus said on the cross. You see, we know that sin kills community. From the very beginning, the sin that Adam and Eve committed caused a, a fissure in their relationship with God. So we know that sin kills community and disrupts relationships. 
And I want you to understand that when we lie, we have to hide from people the truth and what's really going on because we're protecting ourselves over them. If you're cruel, you alienate people. The wages of sin is you find yourself alone, protecting yourself against others, denying yourself what God has created you to become and to thrive in, real life-giving community. Yes, life-giving community doesn't mean it's always found in large crowds, but it's never, ever found alone. And the wages of sin is to be forsaken for our choices. On the cross, Jesus cried these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, where have you gone? Jesus found himself alone, broken, isolated, with no one there. No one to to lift his spirits, no one to strengthen him, no one to hold him. He was there alone. Why? Because the sins that you and I committed were placed on him on the cross. And in that moment, he accepted our being alone and gave us community. He took our sins and gave us righteousness. He took our death and gave us life. Not just you or me, but us. And we can look at each other today and celebrate. And I can encourage you and stimulate you and spur you and call you and excite you about what's available to you in good deeds and love. And you bring that to me. This is what we're missing when we can't gather like we're used to. But don't allow the safe protections that we have in place to keep you from fulfilling the gospel. We are, we are not being denied this at all. In fact, we can show the world that we have more to offer than a Sunday morning event. We have love and hope and joy and companionship for those that are lonely and broken and afraid, for those that are scared, fearful and angry. We walk with them, we walk beside them. We listen, we love and we care. I'm gonna encourage you to do what our author told us to do. Draw near to Jesus with full assurance. Understand the meaning, what the blood of Jesus does for you, not just your sins, but your life. Experience the entry into that inner place with God that is found in community with the Father. It transforms all your relationships. It transforms your everyday. What are you going to do with today? Be encouraged, be an encourager. Love and serve. I want you to think with me. Know that through Jesus Christ, you can draw near to God. If you've not accepted that and you've not received the blood of Jesus Christ, then I'm calling you to to, to reach out today. If you're online, hit the chat button and simply say, I'd like to talk to a pastor about following Jesus more fully. Receive the gift he gave you freely and you might find out you'll walk away free. A disciple of his with the freedom to love and serve him as he loved and served you. I want you to put your hearts to think about becoming a person of community. Don't live isolated and alone, controlling it all yourself. Choose instead to become a person that awakens every day with this beautiful goal of encouragement and life you may offer someone to spur them on to love and good deeds. For your hands, something to do, repent of a life that's been about your satisfaction. And instead awaken saying, Father, I want to live with you today by loving others, just like Jesus taught us in the greatest command. Love your Lord, your God with everything you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because in community, in community, our lives go deeper. 
and we find greater completeness in Jesus as we live this life out, holding on to our hope. Please pray with me. Father, we receive you. And by having you, we have everything we need. Today, I pray that you'll inspire our minds and hearts and with relationships we have, or maybe relationships we don't have yet, but soon will, that bring about life, eternal life, not just satisfaction and happiness, but something that goes deeper. Father, I thank you for the people in my life who no longer live on this earth with us, who inspired me and encouraged me and strengthened me. I celebrate that you shared them with me. I pray that each of us hearing my voice today would become such a person that people will remember how hope built a relationship and how life came because of it. Father, we serve you, we love you, and we hold on to you. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.